Let's do it. Let's do it. Welcome back to the Fitness in Philosophy podcast. My name is Robbie Gusson, and I'm owned. I'm jo- joined. I said owned. <laughs> joined. What? What? That is a meme now <laughs> that Brandon just made 30 seconds ago. I'm joined, as always, by OPEX Fitness founder, James Fitzgerald. How are things going, James? Good. I'll be honest. First thing I thought about was choke collars. <laughs> the mind goes where the there, mind goes. You know there, that's the meme. You know, well, I'm being vulnerable here. I'm opening up what really comes on my mind. Like, that's the first thing. I'm owned by James. So I was thinking, oh, maybe my dog, you know, because I, my dog was choking last night. She wanted to uh, sniff just too many times. And she does this, like, you know, no, no, but she has this you know, choke collar on. And, uh, and she was like, <coughs> as if to say to me, um, you're going to kill me, you know? So anyways, I think that's where the choke collar thing came from when you said ownership. Either that or, you know, the internet memes were like, you know, Jordan Peterson distrominates or owns this, for, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> we can do a little clip. <laughs> James Fitzgerald owns Robbie Gusto. <laughs> like destroyed. Destroyed. <laughs> Just man, the morality argument. Man, you know, like it, it happened. That's uh, how you should change your, that's how you should change the fitness and philosophy uh, clicks that people get on with that little story, right? The, yeah. the opening should be uh, James and Robbie destroy morality. Yeah. Uh, maybe get more interest. Yeah. A million views. Yeah. There we go. They destroy pleasure and pain. They got nothing against us. No, that's what people want. <laughs> so your original question was, uh, what am I up to or what am I doing or what's? No, actually I've got, I, I had a different question for you this week, but then I was looking back at the calendar and I thought it would just be kind of cool to reflect if you're up for it. Yeah. Um, we actually, so as people probably know about podcasts, like we're not recording this live on you know, March 5th. And then it gets, you know, it's, it's a few, a few weeks to potentially a couple months later, uh-huh. uh, we actually recorded our very first podcast in this vicinity of like a couple weeks last year. So, oh, wow. Yeah. So I don't know if you had any thoughts or reflections on kind of the past year. I, I just noticed that myself and was just kind of ruminating, but yeah. Just, you know. No. Um, gosh, what a year. Yeah. What a year, right? In so many different ways. I Maybe the biggest <laughs> reflection is like, we've been doing these consistently pretty much well, every few weeks. Well, uh, I just, I just finished uh, Frank Wilczek's uh, book called Fundamentals. Uh, you know, big, big brain thinker on physics. And um, one of the things that he said in there that I had in conversation yesterday with another individual, and that rings true to your question or to your point of like, do you have any thoughts on, you know, this time last year, this year is the, is just time, you know, goes on. It's a, it's a constant and it, uh, it just happens, you know, like now, you know, in a couple of seconds coming up here, I can talk about it, but there's going to be, you know, time changing on the clock, you know, there's movement and there's, you know, let's call it, uh, expansion and, uh, and growth and, 
that's what I reflect on when you're like, so what's your thoughts on a year? I was like, a year is time. Like a lot, a lot went into that. And that makes me reflect on uh, how cool it is, you know, for the experiences that we can put together in our life for the time that we're here. That's what I immediately think about. How precious, yeah. time, how precious time is, is a cliche, cliche statement, right? Yeah, but it's, it's true. And I mean, just the fact that like, I mean, now that I'm thinking back. Well, it to, is true. It's a truth. Oh yeah. <laughs> <definitely>. <laughs> But just, just even the nature of, yeah, I mean, I, I wrote my dissertation on Kant's thoughts on time and just- Oh, of, cool. Yeah, so uh, it's it's a very, very interesting topic. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, just even thinking back to like, I think, I think technically last year we were going to do the first episode on like this corresponding Friday and March 10th was when like everything really like hit. And I think you guys were in- San Diego, I want to say, and like things got canceled or something, and yeah, had to, yeah. Had to drive back, and then like I think I think I drove back on the Friday. Wednesday night was when the uh, during the halftime of the NBA game that was on TV. Yeah, people, you know, the announcement was the NBA is ending its season, and it was <laughs> we all gathered our two families in the room, and it was like this shit is real now, <laughs> you know? And I'm gonna continue with this, this funny story. And we'll of course I was driving Friday, so we couldn't do it by the way, but uh, cause we decided not to get on a plane. These are the decisions you make at that time, right? It's like, no, 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 we're not getting on a plane. We're gonna stay in a little car ourselves as if we're, and I had these feelings of like the, the classic uh, prepper, you know, get out of the apocalypse, leave LA, driving across the desert. These are the things I was thinking about. Look at me, I'm even like, mimicking the wheel you know as i'm doing looking around for zombies right <laughs> anyways the covid zombies um but i uh i thought about uh um what that means at that point in time when someone says so you think you think you have a concept of what you know th this comfort level of what's what's real and what's going on and then when you hear those big statements like that like uh you know the season is ending I can just remember looking at everyone in the room and feeling this real deep uh, awareness come over everyone. Like you're forced to, right? Yeah, everyone is forced to step up their game on awareness, right? And immediately everyone in the room, which what I noticed carefully, we all quickly got to uh, what really mattered. Like we really, you really started to sink in on, on what really mattered at that point in time. Um, I'm, just, I'm just sharing that to, to go back to this point in time, you know, and say, well, what, what the hell was your brain going through on that Friday? You know, it was, it was like driving across the desert, shaking off COVID zombies. That was going on in my head, basically. No, that totally makes sense. Like I, I remember at the gym and just with, you know, some of my friends, it was like, so is this as big, a, you know, what, what's going to happen? Is this really a thing? You know, is this like the meme of the dog, like sitting around a, you know, a building that's like a blaze and this is fine. Uh, <laughs> and then March 10th, March 10th, because that's my sister's birthday. That was like the day it was like the NBA, but it was also I think United Airlines called. There were a few different things that like all hit, and I was like, "Okay, 
Yeah. This is happening. This is definitely happening. And then two days later, we had our first episode. Like wow. we, we we didn't we didn't postpone it. We didn't, you know, we're like, hey, let's give this a shot. Yeah. And uh, here we are a year later. So it's kind of cool. It is. It is. That's a great reflection. Thank you for that. And uh, so today, what is today's episode, Robbie? Do you know the number? I was just checking back before we started. I'm 90 plus percent sure it is episode 23, which, you know, if, if you if you give allowances for, I think there have been weeks off here and there and there are 52 weeks in a year and 26 two-week blocks. That's, yeah, that's pretty much roughly yep. what a year of every two weeks would be. Yep. So. And it's also uh, the number of the greatest basketball player of all time. LeBron James. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, it's so disappointing. <laughs> I, I completely so disagree with that. <laughs> I'm such, I'm a huge Michael Jordan fan. I just want to see your reaction. Well, you got it. I almost hit end. Let's start this call again. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, the memes of him reacting to LeBron in the last dance are just like, where he's just like laughing with like a cigar in his mouth are just priceless. It is the greatest. So The only one who could even remotely rival... Uh, you know, I grew up in Southern California, so I was a Lakers fan. But you know, I, I, Kobe, all you know, praise yeah. to Kobe, great, great basketball player. Um, but yeah, Michael Jordan, absolutely. LeBron, yeah. LeBron, to me, is not even. Yeah, there, there are a few other people in line before. Yeah, yeah, maybe that's a philosophy podcast another time. Maybe. You know, because uh, uh, you could probably pull into it uh, how people could use their concept of time through your understanding. Um, and philosophizing on that, maybe through Kant's view or maybe just your own, um, as to how, you know, the like, cause I think the, the people that propose some of the cool conversations around that, when you're like, oh, who's the greatest, <clears throat> it's really strong of an argument when people bring in how the, an the answer to that is only the present time and through your experiences, you know what I mean? So when someone comes in as like, you know, well, I was around when Oscar Robertson was playing basketball. You know, they offer this such deep color to like what it meant to be the greatest at that point in time. And they can layer on like the effect they had on the sport and the deep embedding principles that, you know, Michael Jordan didn't even know he had based upon like it, it creates this like, geez, you know, <laughs> that was pretty, that was pretty strong, you know. And, yeah. and then, of course, you know, you get the the, uh, the pizzazz NBA era, Johnson, Bird, Jordan era. And it's like, you know, it's, it's kind of tough to like argue against that one as the base support of the possible. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And who, who are we to know that, like, let's just say we're removed from this. And seven years later from this day. LeBron continues to do and does more, you know, in multiple ways. He rewires himself and team play and whatever out of COVID, more in person, and it just grows in, you know, in power. Maybe our maybe our concept will change in seven years. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Time changes that. So it's, I think it's always a good argument inside of the greatest of all time. Yeah. No, I think that's. I mean, obviously, with Brady winning again, there were there are always this discussions about Babe Ruth and all these other players from different sports and how does time affect it? So yeah, I definitely yeah. think that's an interesting discussion. Yeah. You know, the Babe Ruth one is a, is a tough one, right? Like imagine making that comment of anything different, you know? Yeah. Cy Young was the greatest. 
<laughs> well, how are we going to tie uh, that intro into uh, the cop topic today? Do your best. Well, today we're going to talk about morality and fitness. And all I can say is I'm just glad that I didn't officially end our podcast after a year by being serious about LeBron James. <laughs> that would have just like, okay. Maybe quick. we did. Maybe just we did. Kidding. Maybe we have such good edit- edit- editing skills that uh, we brought it back up. All right, guys. So today we're going to start talking about morality and and fitness. So obviously in a number of previous episodes, whether it's intention or autonomy or virtue, we've discussed this this topic um, before. We've discussed Aristotle in a bit of detail, although I'm sure we'll come back to him. Uh, Utilitarianism when we talked about impact, but also some other episodes. Today we're going to focus a bit more on uh, Kantian moral philosophy and its relation to the notion of um, duty and, you know, do we have um, an obligation to, you know, be fit and what, what obligations do we have within fitness, um, that, that type thing. So I suspect this will probably be a, a two-parter at least. And then James and I were just talking before the call about uh, Hume and his moral philosophy, which is, is a whole interesting thing in and of itself. And I'm sure we'll probably do something on him later on down the line as well. Yeah. And does this also tie into the political discussion we had? On, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, like how, how you, your actions may affect others and not affect others for that, you know? When you said duty and obligation, that's immediately what I thought about, too. Yeah, and it's, I mean, a, a very important area of philosophy. You know, we, we've talked about philosophy as the nexus of sorts where different disciplines meet, and an important discussion within philosophy is, how morality and politics relate to each other because they're obviously not coextensive. It is not illegal to just, you know, lie to someone's face aside of it, outside of it being a, in a contract or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it is immoral. So, you know, and there are lots of things that are legal but are not, you know, short selling and things like that that are of questionable morality. So yeah. right. it, it, they, they obviously relate to one another but they're not coextensive and how, how do those two play a role? So absolutely. Yeah, yeah. well, I'm, I'm interested in uh, revisiting that idea as it re- re- as it's regarded to fitness. Yeah, yeah, me too. I think, um, and you, I mean, just for people who uh, may not uh, know, and you know, I, I tied in some ideas from this as well. You you did a knowledge series on on this as well. Um, so yeah. that's that's another great uh, discussion on this. Yeah, yeah. So let's just start off with a base definition of morality. So the quality of being in accord with standards of right or good conduct, a system or collection of ideas of right and wrong conduct, virtuous conduct. So it, it, it basically has to do with how we conduct ourselves, usually with regard to others. Although, um, as we'll talk about, it has historically, and it still today does involve one's relation to oneself. How can one and how should one treat oneself ethically? Um, much more recently, it's come to encompass things like how does one treat inanimate objects mm-hmm. ethically? Well, mm-hmm. inanimate, maybe not the right term, but like um, non-conscious. So, you know, the environment, let's say, yeah. uh, but also, uh, you know, certain animals, obviously some of which are, are more conscious than others. So uh, it has to do with how do we, Typically, it's most concerned with how do we relate to other people, but it is also concerned with how we relate to ourselves. Uh, and again, increasingly now, the environment and you know animal ethics, things like that, are also of concern. Yeah, 
So when you think about philosophy, there are a lot of different things that go on within philosophy, but I would say morality is probably one of the most central discussions within within philosophy and why do you think that is just to just to try to get at the the, some of the deepest burning questions of what's the base support of uh, right and wrong for how we go about this it's a good question i mean i think it's partially a mix of almost like a meta philosophy philosophy question yeah i mean i think about philosophy i think there's you know historical accident aspects to it i mean just like logic used to be a part and then it branched off and math used to be a part and what used to be called natural philosophy is now science. But, you know, the the biggest questions about who we are originated in one way or another, typically in some sort of philosophy, like where did we come from? How do we conduct ourselves while we're here? Yeah. Where are we going? That's what I thought. Yeah. 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 Origin and meaning. Yeah. A lot of those, the base support of uh, where this all came from. Yeah. I'm, in, I'm just interested in that. <clears throat> yeah, and it's, it's imp- I think just something that you made me think of as you were mentioning that, that I think we mentioned in previous episodes in particular on politics, like peaceful transfer of power, rule of law, like all these things are exceptions in history, right? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. it wasn't, you know, for a long period of time, there wasn't necessarily so much of a question of like, how should we act in like a systematic fashion? And then like, I'm sure, you know, obviously we don't know the minds of long, long ago hunter gatherers, but I'm sure proto versions of the question were being asked, but it didn't really come along in systematic cultural form till a lot, a lot later. So this idea of how should we as people, you know, conduct ourselves with respect to others, at least in a systematic written out, you know, throw it on the piece of paper type way is a relatively recent development. Yeah. Or stones. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Let's call it more of a, you know, entry into this, into civilized manner. Right. Yeah. Um, And within philosophy, there's this notion of normativity that we've, we've discussed before, you know, descriptive versus normative statements, descriptive being, uh, descriptive statements being about what is the case, like um, the sun is shining right now in Northern Indiana. Uh, or the earth is a sphere, um, and normative statements being about what should or should not be the case. Now, I wanted to mention this in particular in relation to fitness, and we'll, we'll get to this question to talk about to what extent are there norms within fitness? Is there normativity within fitness? And then what type of normativity? Because not all normativity is created equal. So I have some examples here. You know, there's um, the normativity, if you want to call it that, of rationality, like if you want to go to Australia, you should buy a plane ticket. If you want to become a lawyer, you should go to law school. That's one type of normativity where it's dependent on the goal or the context. Um, etiquette is a type of normativity. If you want to be a decent member of society, don't pick your nose in public. But no one would say that that reaches the level of normativity of ethics, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's religious normativity. If you want to please God, avoid eating pork or give to charity or something to that effect. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, ethical normativity is, is pretty strong. That's, that's, that, that's typically our intuitive field feel of what's going on. It's not just, you know, some cultural custom where it's like, uh, you know, if you, if you travel somewhere, it's impo- impolite to resist food that, that may be impolite, but it's not like, 
you know, stealing something from someone. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yep. Like those levels of normativity um, differ. So I think a question, you know, we'll get to when we, when we talk more in depth about fitness will be like, A, is there any normativity in fitness? And if so, is it like morality? Is it like etiquette? What, what's it like there? Yeah. Is it uh, fair to like include the sentence, is it normal to dot, 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 and then whatever you're going to discuss I was just trying to think of a language as to how, how uh, in normativity, the word itself is not common for, for my usage or my understanding. And I think that limits me a little bit in its usage. So I was just trying to find a workaround to say, um, you know, is it normal to dot, dot, dot? Is that the question you asked to see if the, that particular thing contains normativity in this context? Um. It could be. It could be. I, I think that's definitely related. Am I just trying to hijack in something that looks like normativity as a word to my, kind of make it? No, I, I definitely think it's related. Um, and I, I do actually think that that is something I want to discuss in the future. And that is a big discussion within philosophy, where sometimes we talk about the purposefulness or the teleology of biological systems, like a heart should pump blood. Mm -hmm should fire neurons and yeah. not just that it does it, it should so like when we say is it is it normal for you know people to be up at 2 a.m in the morning no it's, yeah. it's not it's not normal so th there is that sense of it uh, I think that's within normativity but then there's kind of the the broader sense that's just concerned with how should the world be versus how is it so religion's making claims about how people should behave etiquette's making claims about how people should behave aesthetics is making claims about what is ugly what is beautiful so it, normativity is really just a fancy way of saying like should or ought in various right. different spheres that right. that's really the, is ought. About, the yeah. ought of the is ought conversation exactly <laughs> got it exactly so today we're mainly going to be talking about Kantian ethics. Now, as you might imagine, this could be a semester or multi-semester thing. So we're not going to, we're not going to go through the entire thing here, but I'm just going to give people some ideas of what's going on in Kant's system. And just in terms of reading there, Kant does have, you know, it's a, it's a little bit of a slog, um, but it, it's short. Um, he, he's, he's got uh, a, a work called the groundwork for the metaphysics of morals, which something like 60 to 80 pages. So if, if people are listening and want to, you know, just work their way through, um, that's like a preface to his bigger work, the metaphysics of morals. That's like the big work of morality there, but um, that's, that's a good one to go to. And then obviously the Stanford encyclopedia of philosophy that I've been referencing many times has good work on Kantian ethics and good bibliography. Um, I guess, yeah, I didn't, I didn't think to include this, but just mini biographical stuff. Uh, Immanuel Kant was an 18th century um, philosopher who gave us contribution, major contributions in um, metaphysics, epistemology, moral philosophy, aesthetics, uh, philosophy of religion, you, you, you name it, and is probably, probably most famously known for his moral philosophy, at least in popular uh, culture. Um, and there are a lot of notions that we, you know, make reference to with regard to morality today that, that come from Kant. So just a few here that I'll outline. Um, autonomy, which we discussed on our episode, autonomy and fitness. The idea for Kant here being that it is 
crucial to morality that the law come from one's self. What, what one is to do morally come from oneself. And he thinks it actually mimics, you know, you, you could see how that gets tricky real quick, right? Because then someone's like, well, my morality differs from your morality. But he makes arguments to the effect of it's similar to logic and math, where the same way we can use our rationality to arrive at, to arrive at common truths of logic and math, we come to common truths of morality. Yeah. Um, it puts in the system, repeat, see how it works over time, and then see the end result based upon that and come to some conclusions. Yeah. And he gets a lot of this from uh, Rousseau. And, you know, Rousseau talks about how true freedom really comes from giving the law to oneself, to giving someone some boundedness um, in which they have to act. Um, intention, that's a big one. Whenever you hear someone say it's the thought that counts. Uh, or it wasn't my intention, like, you know, it's not that people didn't think about this before Kant, but it's a huge aspect of his moral philosophy. We need to do the right thing for the right reason. And of course we had an, an episode there, intention and fitness. So um, for Kant, it's not the outcome of an action that counts. It is it is fully and solely the, the intention. That's really the big thing. Yeah. Uh, duty, which we'll that's be talking Sorry, do you think that's why you mentioned moral philosophy is so big today in the in the language? I think because uh, uh, just based upon our culture and society, you know, we're we're trying to find this nice base support as to what true intentions are with people. That could be, yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of I think there's a lot of confusion out there for people about like what are the relevant moral concepts and virtues and should we count intentions more outcomes more? And I think that's at least part of the reason why moral philosophy has become more um, maybe popular is the right term today, but yeah, more, more, uh, more studied. Okay. I don't Have you ever seen or heard of the, uh, the show, the good place? No. Okay. It's with uh, Ted Danson and oh, yes. uh, Kristen yes. Bell. Yeah. So I never thought it was possible to make, make a show that would be very good uh, and entertaining about philosophy, but that's what the show's about. So if people are looking for an entertaining intro to Kant's ethics and utilitarianism and Aristotle, that, that's got a really lots of good stuff on this. So Solid, thank you. I'm always looking for uh, some interesting watches. Um, duty, um, you know, it, it's it's central for Kant that we do the right thing because it is the right thing. And he makes this important distinction between acting from duty as opposed to acting in accord with duty. And just to give you an example, um, the difference between someone anonymously giving to charity and then someone giving to charity because the TV crews are there because their name is going to be up on the, um, the building or someone returning a wallet because they think it's the right thing to do versus someone returning a wallet because there's a you know, hundred dollar reward or, uh, you know, they'll be praised afterwards. So in other words, the idea being you're, you're doing the right thing because it is the right thing. Yeah. Which we talk about uh, quite a bit in other podcasts, but just the, the current, um, landscape for individuals for exercise, right. They think it's uh, not worthy if no one has seen them or if it's not broadcasted of what they've done. Right. And, you know, to clarify a, a common objection to Kant, you know, sometimes people say, well, do you have to hate what you're doing? Does it mean nothing good can come of it? It doesn't mean that, but it means 
ask yourself the hypothetical question. If you didn't get more followers, if you didn't get a reward, if you didn't get the money and all the rest of that stuff, would you still do it? If yes, then the action was moral. If not, then no, it's yeah. consistent. And even with that question, though, you're presuming they have the, str the strong enough cognitive repertoires to understand, you know, what, what's not going to be there if they don't get the followers, you know, right? You make that presumption as well. Because I, I even don't think that to step further in that, I don't even think people are <laughs> have enough cognitive strength to, to even think about the perception of those differences. Well, I mean, and that's a great point too, because one of the central features of, of Kant that we'll talk about when we talk about the categorical imperative, um, Kant is just, he zeroes in more than almost any other moral philosopher I know on this notion that humans are masters of self-deception. We are, we are just fantastic yeah. at it. Yeah. I got so many books up there and I'll promise you, uh, Robbie, I'll, I'll uh, lay them out for us at the end. We can include them, but uh, so many so many good current readings, I'm sure, on that base support notion for today. Yeah, it's crazy. And so, you know, to your point, you know, it's one thing for, you know, let, let's say someone had the cognitive capacity to ask themselves that. They'd say, okay, well, would I do this if I didn't have more followers? Well, we do all sorts of mental gymnastics to be like, well, and, you know, it, it, it's, it's wrong to lie to someone unless, unless they're a jerk. Or, you know, wrong to like, you know what I mean? Like just these little like mm -hmm. risos in there. And that's one of Kant's central insights is that, no, 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 we don't, we don't get to add those provisos to morality. And that's, mm -hmm. that's what we want to inject, but morality commands this and yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Um, morality consists in respect for the moral law and, and acting um, from duty, it's not pleasure and happiness. So unlike Aristotle, unlike utilitarianism, um, so for Aristotle, act, leading the virtuous life intrinsically leads to true happiness and, and true, you know, eudaimonia. And for utilitarianism, um, we're looking for the greatest pleasure for the maximum number of, of, of people or greatest happiness for the maximum number of people. Um, that is not the ultimate goal for Kant. It's, it's awesome if it leads to that too, but you are to be, you know, morality requires being moral for the sake of being moral, full stop. No, no other proviso um, in there. So he also says, uh, he starts off, you know, the groundwork for the metaphysics of morals by saying the true absolute good, like one of the few truly good things without qualification in the world is a good will, not happiness or pleasure. Mm -hmm. And a goodwill for Kant subsumes its temporary desires uh, and wants to do the right thing. Yeah. And that it goes back to, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but it, uh, it does almost act as a uh, truth behind the deepest intentions. Cause you can always get quabbled in this, like you're doing it for others or doing it for the collective. Um, and then it's like, well, is that the correct, you know, even if it is on a good base support, is that the correct uh, intention? So, yeah, that that the way you describe that definitely, I appreciate that because it does resonate with me more. If I was just to say like what feels what feels good to me in my understanding, um, it's definitely Kant's view on that. Um, like, it's great if it does. Stop. <laughs> no, nothing more. Um, yes, yeah, so I'm I'm just making mention of why that may. Uh, 
that may resonate for me. Yeah. And I mean, I've, I've seen in previous episodes, I think we've discussed, like, I think a lot of what you have put forward as some of your central ideas with relation to fitness bear a lot of resemblance to what, what Khan has to say with regard to autonomy and tension and right reason and, and, and things like that. And, um, it's very anti-utilitarian in that, in that regard. So obviously utilitarianism comes like a century later, roughly a century later after Kant. So he wasn't around for it, but it's a uh, utilitarianism about as oil and water as you can get. Now there are some people who try to blend them and do other things, but they, they really are like you do the right thing for the right reason, whether, you know, it leads to good consequences or not. Yeah. Yeah. So just that as a time, time uh, conversation again, which uh, just think about that, like a hundred years later of how many thoughts and readings and philosophizing and things that went on in a hundred years, you know, that uh, just changed a view on that. Um, and people don't even recognize what, you know, we're possibly capable of in, in changing, uh, just look at the past, you know, past year as an example we talked about, right? Imagine a hundred of those and what's possible for change in thought and whatnot. It's just, it's a mind blowing, but appreciative at the same time. Yeah. And I mean, you know, there, there was certainly other moral philosophy in between Aristotle and Kant and utilitarianism, but yeah. let's extrapolate your point. Like Aristotle is a couple thousand years, yeah. you know, essentially yeah. before and utilitarianism and like the time in between that and then you get these other two and yeah it's just it's crazy to think about how much that that shifts things gosh yeah um okay so that, those are just some central highlights of, of content moral philosophy the main one that i wanted to talk about today and then we're going to launch into the the fitness side of things is the categorical imperative which is probably one of the most famous aspects of Kant's philosophy, and I wanted to break it down for people because it's it's a weird term that initially doesn't make sense, but when you break it down, it makes a lot more sense, and we'll see how it plays a connection to what we want to talk about in fitness. So let's talk about categorical imperative. So first of all, what is an imperative? It's just a old-timey word, if you want to say that, for a command. That, that That's all we're talking about. So examples, open the door, turn on the lights, don't talk while chewing, just a command of some sort. So that's what an imperative is. What does categorical mean? Categorical means in all situations, no matter what. So what is a categorical imperative? It would be a command that applies in all situations. Now the central questionnaire is, does such a thing exist? Because on the face of that, that seems really weird. All commands that you can think of have some context or goal that they are related to. And this will relate to fitness and health, of course, where we talk about like, what's the context? What's the goal? What are you trying to accomplish? So a hypothetical imperative, which is another version that Kant talks about, is a command that applies only in certain situations. So if you want to read Kant in the original language, go learn German. If you want to lose weight, eat healthy food. If you want to be a lawyer, go pass the bar exam. But whether you are bound by any of those commands depends on your wants, desires, and goals. If you get rid of the goal to read Kant in the German, you don't need to learn German. If you don't care about losing weight, go eat whatever you want. So um, almost every command you can think of is a hypothetical imperative. For Kant, what is unique about morality 
is that a categorical imperative is what um, gives us the best description of, of moral commands. It's a command that commands you to act a certain way in all situations. So don't steal no matter what. Not if you want to be a good person, don't steal. Not if the person you're stealing from is a jerk, it's okay. Not inserting all these little provisos to, you know, get yourself out of the rule. Um, don't lie, no matter what. It's not if you want to live a happy life, don't lie. It's not if the lie won't hurt anyone, lying is okay. And then lastly, don't murder. It's not don't murder if you want to be a polite member of society, don't murder. It's not if the person did something really bad, it's okay. It's just don't murder, full stop. So Kant thinks that a central feature of moral imperatives, unlike every other imperative that you can think of, is that you're still duty bound to act morally, whether you want to or not. It is binding on you as a rational being, full stop. You can't be like, well, I don't want to go to Australia, so I don't need a plane ticket. That totally works in that context, but it doesn't work in the case of morality. And the reason he thinks this is because he's acutely aware of our propensity to insert these little clauses and to find ways around being bound by morality. So one of the things we'll talk about today is, are there any such duties within health and fitness? Are we duty bound as humans just to better ourselves? Or is it just context dependent? Is it just dependent on our, on our goals? Yeah. <laughs> so a lot, a lot in there. Yeah, no, I mean, first of all, that was, uh, I think you asked yourself the question in, in as a hope strategy that it would be understood in my perspective. I think you did a great job of, uh, giving me a good foundational knowledge of categorical, categorical versus hypothetical imperatives. Um, I think you gave uh, a good uh, understanding of the stance, I guess, that Kant would say in the understanding of categorical imperative with your examples, don't murder, don't steal, don't lie. And then, um, yeah, the challenge of how, uh, if it's time, uh, how we carry that over to if it's, I guess I'm asking that question, is a time where we kind of jam on carrying those uh, duties, you know, what are duties and obligations for fitness? Um, I think you've, I think you've given a good base support as to what we could come up with as to what could be those, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I'm, I'm ready to jam on that. The only other thing I was going to mention is, um, the categorical imperative, um, like this, the formulation of it that Kant comes up with that basically everything about his morality spills out from this. Always act in such a way that you treat another human being always, in an, always as an end in themselves, never merely as a means. If you had to sum up Kant's moral philosophy in a sentence, that's it. So I'll read that again. Yeah. Always act in such a way that you treat a human being always as an end in themselves and never merely as a means. Anything you would ever want to think about morality flows out of that. Don't lie, don't steal, don't murder. It means always treat a human being as a being with ends and goals that and purposes that they have in and of themselves and never merely as a means to your own ends and mm -hmm. goals and purposes. And yeah. that, that is the categorical imperative, the central one from which all others derive. Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah, I immediately think about 
that in some conversations that have come up before of, you know, people, um, you know, you know, having the, having the opportunity to make decisions on, you know, doing exercise and being consistent or eating good foods, but um, they just, they choose not to. Um, and I think that's where, that's where it gets a little, I think it goes back to uh, the, the conversation that we had on the, the rights, the rights that people have to do what they want to do. And those rights of not exercising and not eating, you know, what nature gives us, um, you know, and what that leads to, I guess, I guess that's where I'm, I guess that's where my, my brain is like hurting a bit on, well, why, why even discuss it if, I guess it's not why even discuss it, but you know, where does it land if we're just eventually not going to, not going to push anything that says, well, there are these duties that people have. Um, and if, if am I making sense, if we still fall back on like, well, they, they can do whatever they want, you know? Um, and I mean, it's very, it'd be very simple for me, Robbie, to say that just like, I'm sure, well, I'm not sure, but, uh, in the scientific process for, for other areas, you just look over time, what has worked, what is the, what's the long-term goal strategy, and then just say, well, these are the principles that people have been doing uh, in order to get them there. And so your duty is to do these things. Why? Because it's been just been shown to be true for a really long period of time, that those are the things that, you know, but as far as saying that those are even something similar to don't steal, don't lie, don't murder. I don't know. It just feels like it's a, uh, it's not even in the same, same category uh, when we're yeah. talking fitness. So two things in there, I guess the, where should we set our thoughts based upon that? Like, you know, I guess it's the duty obligation area, right. And what we talked about before um, in, uh, in, in, you know, freedoms and what, you know, and, uh, and political view on, you know, what people should do based on that. And then secondarily, um, I do think that there are things that uh, people uh, we've just seen over time, like, you know, we have biceps and we rotate and our feet move in a certain manner to move us across land. We can bend, squat, et cetera. You know, and I could pile on that story as to like, well, these are things that, that have been around, we actually can do. And it does, if we do these challenges lead to these things, you know, but that's not in, that's not in like clear, clear evidence. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I have a couple of thoughts there about how, how we navigate things. One is, yeah, it, I think, I think I see your concern going back to like, you know, the rights question and the legal question of like, well, if we can't force people to do it, you know, people are legally allowed to do what they want. Um, I, I do actually think we can, we can make some headway here in a way in which we can't, couldn't, or not necessarily couldn't there, but like had to talk about like, you know, how, how much leeway do we have? So just, just to refresh people's memory, part, part of what we were saying there is that um, what we ran into is that when, you, when you're talking about, you know, any group of people living together in a, you know, liberal democratic modern society is that people have different conceptions of the good and laws can only be instituted to the extent that you are infringing upon the rights of others. And unless you are doing so, 
you should be allowed to not wear a seatbelt, you know, buy a big gulp, so on and so forth. Now, you know, the details get, you know, tricky there. And we talked about taxation and mm -hmm. education, all these other different things. But with morality, we actually have more purchase here because here we're not talking about making any laws. Uh, and and with, with normativity, just in general, not even morality, with normativity, the normativity is going to apply independently of any particular society. It may just apply insofar as you're a human being um, the same way, you know, Kant's morality applies insofar as you're a rational being. So there's a way in which we could talk about there being duties that one has to oneself that have nothing to do with what laws are being instituted or not instituted in that conundrum of like, how do we as lawmakers impose other things on others? So we could still, you could still very much in the realm of normativity and or morality say something like someone is duty bound to maintain and cultivate their health and fitness, whether they choose to or not, and whether any laws are instituted about that or not. So I, I think that's, that's one way. Oh, no, that's, yeah. That, so yeah, I'm, I'm glad you went about it that way of, uh, of putting it into that manner. And maybe I'm just, maybe I'm just stuck at it that that's, so yeah, what you just said, your last sentence is what I, you know, I, if it's not obvious, I believe, right. <laughs> I, I deeply believe in it, that we have a, a duty and um, an obligation to challenge ourselves physically because we can, right. Because we are, we are capable of doing it. And therefore this is the, this is my point of like, maybe I'm having a hard time of looking for the stretch of it. Um, and I know why I'm having a hard time to stretch for it, Rob, because no one practices it. Like it's very few humans that like, it's a very small percentage, <laughs> you know? And I think that's where my, you know, I'm just having a hard time of thinking about putting it into practice and it moving beyond just the thought, but maybe that's, maybe that's not where I should stop myself. But yeah, I, I think people should do have a duty and an obligation to go through those physical challenges because we've seen through a long period of time, even through the change of having to do it to survive to now like doing it through folly, which I think is the major, like major difference between 2020 and, and 1655 um, is that there is a stark difference in having to do it to like challenge yourself physically. And it doesn't just happen. Like we don't get up and carry water for three miles and then have to go burrow tubers for four hours, you know, in a squat bending position, you know, to source our food. If I'm being, if I'm making sense of, you know, and I think that's where the issue is, is that we have to, we have to come up with, we have to come up with ways like our, our vocation and our life and our day to day doesn't require us to move through physical challenges, right. That, that have these great outcomes. So herein lies the biggest issue, which goes back to the knowledge theory I originally thought, said, we don't have to exercise. So now inside of that practice, in dealing with morality of it, uh, where, where does that lie? Because our intentions, we, we, we're, we can't trick ourselves, right? We can't be like, oh, this is a tree. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> uh, you know, I'm doing one arm rows. I'm like, I'm cutting wood for my family. I'm cutting wood for my family. You know, right. like it's, it's, you know what I'm saying? So it does go back to Kant's points on, well, what's the deepest intentions inside of it? Um, yeah, I'll stop there. Cause I'm, I'm maybe rambling, but I'm just kind of, yeah. Thinking where I lay on that one.
Yeah, I mean, I so two thoughts there. One would be, you know, going back to your worry or your concern about, well, because not a lot of people do it, I'm, you know, I'm having a trouble like bridging the gap there. Similar thing in morality. I mean, you know, Kant would just come along and say like, yeah, just because there are very few moral exemplars doesn't mean this isn't, we aren't bound any more or less, right? Um, you know, just because it's hard for most people um, to act morally. And it, it's, it's hard precisely because as humans, our desires naturally pull us in the opposite direction of what is the right thing to do. So it is, it's far more common, not necessarily to say that, you know, all humans are immoral, that would be, you know, no. too, too far, but, yeah. you know, he, he does some say something to the effect of, um, you know, humans are metaphorically kind of crooked wood. Um, you know, how, how do you, how do you straighten things out? How do you um, get humans to act according to reason? But even there, you know, you'd still say they're, you know, duty bound um, to act in such a way, whether they choose to or not. Um, and then I, I, I actually think there is an interesting, another interesting con connection in what you were saying about the fact that we don't have to, maybe we, we finally in human history get to attach some normativity and morality to fitness because there's not much in it if you have to do it right you know what i mean like kant, kant famously says that about a lot of different things like if someone has no choice but to do you know x y or z and if they're just doing it because they're forced to where's the morality in that you know where, where's the choice where's the volition where's the giving the law to oneself so in a certain sense maybe now that we are faced with this like we're sitting all the time you know, all, all these desires are pulling us in the opposite direction. There's, there's more um, normative oomph for morality or whatever you want to call it to the fact that, you know, people are saying, no, I, I need to cultivate my health. I need to cultivate. Does, does that make sense? Yeah. Somewhat, sort of maybe. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, yeah, I guess I, I guess I was looking for like the, 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 no, it totally makes sense. Um, it totally makes sense. It just, um, yeah, I need a second to think about how, how I, yeah, I'm looking for how this conversation adds more to, uh, tr to trying to get people to a point of, you know, asking more questions and digging in a little bit more to the reason as to why they're embarking on health and fitness. Yeah. Well, I mean, let, let, let's start here. Like, is, I mean, we kind of touched on it, but like, is there any sort of normative duty, whether etiquette related, probably not religious, although maybe there's some religious duties to fitness. Mm -hmm. um, we could talk about those, but like- yeah, You could. Interpretation of scripture would say there's places in there that could right. connect to that. Outside of someone wanting to adopt particular goals, like, oh, I want to be healthier. Oh, I want to lose weight. You know, outside of people wanting to adopt those specific goals, do they have any sort of duty to cultivate their own health and fitness? And if so, what sort of normative thing is that? Is it like etiquette? Is it like morality? Like, where, where does, you know what I mean? Like, normativity sits on a spectrum. I, I see what you were saying before about don't lie, don't steal, don't kill being on like the very far end. Um, but, you know, there, there are, you know, so, so what, is there a duty? 
um, for us to cultivate those things? If so, what does that duty consist in and, and what is it like? Yeah, well, um, I'll start with the one on, but I still may need your help in trying to see where that sits and if it's actually implementable. And I think that's why I'm getting tripped a lot because I, you know, I'm just saying words, but as far as it being implementable, you know, anyways, um, it's about, um, um, and I think I could be, I'm cheating a little bit here because you offered J.G. Uh, Bennett's language inside of the document. Um, and yeah. I've read, not, I'm not well read on it, but I have constantly used a number of his, you know, five or six sentences on, um, and what it essentially, I captured in words is what I use uh, for people having potential, meaning, you know, each person has a constant opportunity in my belief to discover something more about themselves in their physical capabilities, which I do think in my own opinion leads to better uh, thought making processes and how they navigate their life. Um, and it doesn't always happen through physical challenges. It's obvious that I'm biased in that and that's, I'm in the world of physical culture. So it makes sense of that. So I do think, yeah, that there's, there's a duty for people to try to un, un, underco- uncover constantly this potential and fall nothing short of continuing to go after what the, what's possible and not leave stuff on the table. And I see a lot of humans being okay and an entire culture and society with everyone being okay with mediocrity, like this being upright and doing this and checking the boxes is enough. And so and I'm saying, no, there, there's more. And your duty is to do more, to, to challenge yourself physically every day. Um, but again, this will go back to, well, how are you, how are you going to come up with a way of saying that's a why, um, if really, you know, I'm, I'm not providing and, you know, I'm, I can't really create any evidence that says, well, if 7.8 billion people for the next 200 years all really applied that concept, there'd be something better. Well, I think there would be, but I, I don't, you know what I'm saying? And there's, there's 3% really that are probably um, think about that thought and are willing to just go at, and let's use a number instead of going after, you know, trying to search for 92% of their human potential for their whole life. <laughs> just putting it in that word potential, not worrying about physical, cognitive repertoires, emotional capabilities, et cetera. Um, I think a lot of people are okay with 51. That's my honest opinion. Um, cause, cause it's enough. It's enough for what's actual challenges are today. You know, cause if you have problems cognitively, there's medicine for that. Um, if you have, uh, problems physically, you know, there's medicine for that too, but you don't actually need to be physical in order to operate that much in generalized statement. So I think within there, I answered your question of what my beliefs are for, I think there's a duty around this nonstop uh, push towards their own potential. 
Yeah, and I, I mean, I think the interesting questions in there lie around like, there are lots of things that we can do as humans, but not necessarily, it, it's certainly not the case that if you can do something, you should do something. So there's something obviously interesting within fitness about like, you know, how closely related that is to our biology and who we are as humans, right? Like I can go learn all the details of, you know, Final Cut Pro or how to do a Broadway dance production, but that doesn't mean I should, do you know what I mean? But mm-hmm. I, th- I think what might be, interesting about fitness and saying that there are duties for us to cultivate, you know, and optimize our our health and fitness is that, you know, there's something deeply embedded in us biologically that, that relates to those, those aspects of, of who we are from an evolutionary perspective, um, biological perspective, things like that, that, that to me seems like the interesting little way to, to get into the conversation. Because again, there's there's lots of things that we could go out and learn or optimize or get better at, but doesn't necessarily mean that we should, but there might be something unique about fitness and health that is is different from those. Yeah, and you're you're helping there because that um that that is the that is the, my issue, like why I'm stumbling and why I'm stuck is that because uh, I always use that. Right. Like, and to me, that's, you know, I have to recognize that's only the way I see things. You know, it's not that others will understand it. I'm trying to create clarity in my language so that people can learn about this concept. But yeah, you, you and I agree. And there's others too, the way I lay it out of, you know, we, we had to do those things and, you know, just based upon time as time has gone on, like, you know, (laughs) just look at us, right? I mean, you could just observe it and watch us and play and do these movements. Like we have with a lot of practice figured out what we can and can't do, you know, physically. And then what do we, what do we learn from all that? That leads to something that's really higher order, you know? And then I've put a stab at that. I've defined what that is, right? Say this, this is the higher order point is, you know, being consistent, um, uh, learning and upgrading right? It, that talks about potential. And, and I think that's where I'm stuck. It's like, uh, there, it, there, it takes, and that's why I immediately just jump ship and be like, I wish the zombie apocalypse would happen. Like, cause it would, it would at least be like a, you know, holy shit. I should have taken 10 years to learn how to run all out for 20 minutes. You see what I'm saying? Like it, and it's like, Oh, now, now people can survive because they can run for 10 minutes straight because we know zombies can't last more than two minutes, right? Um, at a, at a four, four and a half to five minute per kilometer pace. <laughs> we know this, we know these things. Um, they actually implode, right? They try to keep pace, they overheat, they have thermoregulatory issues. Anyways, I just know these, know these things. Um, so th- that's, where I'm, uh, that's where I'm still, that's where I'm having problems is, uh, is seeing like, gosh, to me, it just makes so much sense. You know, like it's so simple. Use that evolutionary thing, the biological concept. This is how we move. We've seen all this. Here's plants and animals. This is how we do it. (laughs) Keep stress low, do it every day, you know? And I think people have a, have a duty to do that. Um, but then, but then it gets, you know, it, it just, yeah, it just gets, uh, I just get lost after that. 
Well, I think it's heading in the right direction. And I mean, I, I think one thing I wanted, we'll, we'll probably discuss in more depth in the next episode, but probably a bit today is a lot of this goes back to questions. And this is a area of discussion within philosophy about like capabilities and responsibilities. Like what, what are humans capable of and what do we have responsibilities to do? Like I'm capable of building a house. Am I responsible for building it? You don't, you do know what I mean? Like, so yeah. doing, doing some deeper investigation into like, um, there are things that we are capable of that, you know, if you lived a human life where you never did it, cool, <laughs> you know, and, and maybe for some of those things, all the better for it, like torture yeah. or what, what have you. But well, what uh, happens if you are capable of things with contractions and aerobic work that, that we know will lead to better humans? Yeah. So that's, that's really like, that's, that's the interesting question is fitness and health seems to be certainly it's among the things that we are capable of just like these other things, building a house or, you know, doing a Broadway play or what, what have you. But unlike those other things that would be interesting and, you know, kind of a, something you could do uh, fitness and health seems to elevate itself above those other things in terms of uh, its relation to our history and our biology and what sort of life we can lead as a result of engaging it in it. So I, I think that's where the kind of philosophical work comes in is like, so why, why is fitness like that? Just the, the same way moral philosophers ask, like, why is morality like that? Why, why should we even bother with this? Like it makes our life harder. We have to do, we have to do, more difficult things like we have to not steal money and not make our life easy and you know not sleep with a whole you know what i mean like there's, there's a whole ton of things we can't do as a result of uh moral strictures um, that actually in in a number of senses make our life harder and yet there seems to be this um you know virtue and long-term value in in that thing so i think that's really where the discussion will ultimately lead is there are all sorts of things that human beings can do, but among those, there's a subset that, you know, we we should be engaged in for a normal human life. Um, and it isn't dependent on culture. It isn't dependent on time. It isn't dependent on place. Mm -hmm. And again, you know, morality, maybe health and fitness, that's where we get kind of the interesting discussion, I think. Yeah, and that, that led me to the roads years back of looking at intention you know, and because uh, the conversation, as you were saying, and I was like, yeah, but, you know, you look around and I just thought, what would, you know, just coaches on the street say to, to your comment? And I think a lot of them would be like, you know, you know, just stop worrying because people are moving. And to me, that's not enough, you know, and and because because a lot I would suffice to say it's like north of 90% of a lot of people who do movement or daily exercise activity. Remember the Jimmy on the street? Yeah. <laughs> if you're to ask them like what they're doing, um, I can damn well tell you it's not about uh, because they're, they know they're capable of doing it. No, and I think that's where my frustration is, is uh, the exhaustion I feel in trying to come up with the concepts to to get people on board of, uh, you know, as a large hole, not, not, not a thousand coaches in CCP, but like a big hole, a lot of people, um, to that, to that growth and understanding of, uh, 
of them being capable of doing it. But you, you know, it helped me a little bit of uh, maybe it's because Immanuel Kant <laughs> one time said it. It's like, just because not a lot of immoral people doesn't mean that <laughs> this moral philosophy still can't stand, you know? I really, that made me feel a little bit better. It's like, yeah, of course. But uh, I don't know, I just have a dismay at the, the challenge behind uh, getting people on board with the understanding of capability, Robbie. And that's why, uh, and that's what I mean by capability. I'm glad you said that because when I say, uh, you know, um, you know, do it because you can and do it because it's for you, that now that I'm looking at it from a larger lens, that's that's a Kant philosophy, right? Like, because uh, it talks about a categorical imperative, right? Because you can, right? That that states because you are capable of it. Now, in the continuum of normativity towards don't murder, don't steal, don't lie. I mean, it's, it's far over here, but you get my point. And then uh, because it's for you talks about that. I mean, and you're going to do it because it's great if it just does. And then full stop. That's it. After that, it's just for you. Nothing else, you know, nothing else. Um, so anyways, thanks for, for making me at least realize that's where that came from. It, it, I didn't even know that that that's where, you know, that was my base support for it was that history of intention and my dismay in not seeing enough people getting, getting okay with uh, understanding that they're capable. Yeah. Of expressing themselves every day. And uh, yeah. And there's also very much in, in, you know, what you were just talking about, well, people are moving, but they're not doing it for the right reasons that there very much is that like acting from duty versus acting in accord with duty bit from Kant where, Yes, you may be engaging in activity, which from the outside seems as though it is the desired, you know, activity. It is lacking the proper intention, and therefore is lacking what we are um, searching for. So that 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 element, I would say, is definitely there. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I mean, I I understand the frustration of getting more people to do it, but yeah, I think whether Kant, I mean, Kant certainly said it, but others have said it too, like just because, you know, in different ages and eras, more or less people steal or kill or what have you, that doesn't change anything about the normativity about whether you should, do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. like we are in, a, in an age and era where for this period of time, people are not engaging in those activities, but, you know, if these are in fact duties that apply to us just insofar as we are human beings, that fact about the world does not change that normative bit mm -hmm. so yeah yeah um i yeah. think another it's great oh. that we made that uh, the the statement <laughs> you know we you know well anyways i did that's a categorical imperative in my in my perspective uh you you, you know you should physically move every day <laughs> So we, we've talked about it in a bit in relation to like the notion of duties to oneself. I'm curious, do you feel like there are any, and maybe I'll clarify before I say it, because I know a lot of, you know, what you say, do it because you can do it because it's for you. A lot of that is trying to contrast with because your doctor said so, or because your wife is nagging you and things like that. Mm -hmm. But I do think even mentioning that there is this interesting question because ethics and morality is concerned with not just duties to yourself, but duties to others. Do you think we as humans not only have duties to ourselves to be 
fit and to engage in physical activity, but we have duties to others, whether family or tribe or to maintain our health and our, our fitness and maybe a, a higher order sense than like my wife is nagging me or, you know, my, my boss is nagging me or my doctor says so or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I do. I definitely do. I, I, I speak about a, a framework of that in a different analogy um, through a coach's lens um, and a coach a coach's growth. Um, and I'll try to apply that here because it's the same understanding and I'll just be short on it. Yeah. I, I do think there's room for that, but not, not unless you're at a hundred percent of yourself. Like not, not until that thing is like a slick, well-oiled, well-functioning, you know, well-operating system. So that's what I would quickly say. Uh, so in that, yeah, it's a, it's a stepwise progression and it's a timeline. Um, and I'll use the analogies I do with coaches and maybe that'll help to your question of uh, where does it, you know, for others come in is that word other is right after the self, right? So, you know, for the coach example, a coach's growth, a coach will continually have to work on themselves. And I just loosely call it, keep strengthening their level of competency, their consistency, um, and their understanding of caring, the three C's, right? They got to keep going going for that, all that as, as much as possible, or as long as the relationship is, as long as the vocation is. Now, once that gets to, you know, pretty great levels where it's a system that is just operating, upgrading, it, you know, things can come in and you see how it fits in and you move it up, move things up. I think then is when you can start teaching and helping others. Then and only then, right? And when I say others here, this, this may be uh, a point of interest for your question. I think we've lost the, the, the uh, idea behind, you know, getting good in our suit first, and then first taking care of those who are in your immediate vicinity, like really close to you. Uh, that's your significant other, you know, the intimate intimacy that is, that is your reproductive offspring, right? Your family, that is where you came from, your immediate family. So those really, really close to you, whatever that is, that doesn't have to be family. I'm just trying to give you a context of like the first step in others, let's call it others 1.0. And then others 2.0 is like your community members, those around you in person, you know? Um, and I think, yeah, you do then after your big self is built, have a commitment you know, uh, a duty to, to spread the good news uh, outside of that. Um, and then, then, you know, and this doesn't happen that often. Um, so, cause we short track it, right. We take these, these well-intentioned humans with three months experience and say, I want you to run a business. That's a system, which is, which jumps over themselves and it jumps over others and it goes right to a system, right? It's like, you can do this press play, money, you know, and they go backwards, like, what happened in this? And you know what happened? You didn't work on yourself. You didn't have that thing built really strong and powerfully before, before you then work with those right around you. 
before you then decided to go into the system and have some kind of effect. Now there's another level to that, which I call the collective. And that's the big grandiose concept of fitness. And I saw that in your notes to our duty to the fitness collective. I think on paper and as a concept, it's great. You know, it's like, oh yeah, that makes sense. But Robbie, I'm even hesitant to like explain that out because I just, again, I see so much lack of self-growth and like really working on oneself um, and figuring out where, where you lie and what, what's important to you and what, what matters to you. And really saying like on firm ground, this is what I think I have a duty to do. Like I, I got to do this for me. You know, th- this is the, this is the thing. And then when you get there and you get practice of it, then yes, I think there's a conversation, but I'm always hesitant, Robbie, to say, to say that. So that, that answers the question on where do others and the systems and collective fit into that uh, on paper as a th- concept of something to shoot for. I think it's kind of cool, but yeah, not a lot of people get that real super uh, self uh, self growth first, um, which I think then, you know, means that I would say if you never stepped outside of self and you didn't do it for others or anything else outside of that, um, it's probably going to be pretty effective for the majority. Okay. So it seems like, at least on your conception, we could say something like, unlike most other moral or normative um, claims, which typically involve a duty or a should or an ought with relation to others, cultivating one's fitness and health has less to do, at least initially with one's uh, relation to others or any sort of duty to others, but has almost entirely to do with a a duty to oneself. Yeah. And I think it's, it's because of the times it's, you know, who we are, what we know, uh, the generation, the tech information age past 30 years, like it's all those things that would give me strength in, uh, in having that. And also just looking around and seeing coaches trying to get, you know, people on board with the, with the concept of health and fitness, or even the far stretching concept of autonomy. Like I could see the, the, I could see the hurdles that have to be jumped. They're just tremendous, tremendous hurdles. Um, yeah, before we even get to that conversation on, uh, yeah, we want to do all this thing because it's going to contribute to all of us as a community thinking better thoughts and help one another and allow us to to be mobile, more mobile in not only our physical being but our thoughts and spread it out. And you know, it's like, gosh, I think what we need really need to take care of is our own stuff first. Um, and there, there's room in there for another, you know, maybe offline or just another concept uh, ideas like. What is, what is that, what do we, what do we think are the relative and absolute totals of that self potential thing, you know, so that people can, can know like, well, what do you mean when you say that? When, when will I know I'm there? You know, cause I have lots of thoughts on that too, um, on how people will get there so that they can say, well, how do I know when I should be concerned about others and what's right and what's wrong and what duty do I have and what's the timelines on that? Cause I think that's a good it's a good question too. Yeah. Um, one 
one question that you made me think of when you were saying, you know, you, you, you think, you know, the duty to oneself to cultivate one's health and fitness is especially applicable now, given kind of the current fitness landscape mm-hmm. is, um, you know, what, what if we went back 500 years, like you mm-hmm. so often do, like, um, you know, typically when we think of normativity, well, this, this really, I mean, this to me is one of the interesting questions. So etiquette or social societal customs, that's very indexed to like a time and a place, right? Whereas morality, you know, there are debates, but typically as we think of it, like slavery has always been wrong, whether people realize it or not. Yeah. Full stop. Do you know what I mean? Um, so it's a similar interesting question with, with fitness. Um, to what extent is our duty to engage in fitness does that change with time or place? Has it changed with time or place? Or is that more of a universal feature of human biology that, you know, we should engage in this no matter the time or the place? Yeah, I think it, so I think, yes, time and place does matter. And if you, if you try to go on a timeline, you know, from, you know, 500, every 500 years and go back for, let's say four or 5,000 years, um, it's only the last, well, it's actually only the last, hundred, you know, of all those eight, 10, 12 multiplications of 500 year periods where we are actually asking this question of like, well, what should we do for physical activity? Like, you know, it wasn't even, as I say, the, the concept of doing physical fitness jumped from, you know, 1865 fitness was Oh, fitness was, you know, your strength to reproduce and survive. Boop, you know, <laughs> to use Kant's, you know, or your, it's a full stop, nothing more. It's like, okay. But then it, it kind of entered into like, oh, we do all these things. I call it folly, you know, do all these things, you know, really thinking we're going to be, you know, better at offspring and reproduction and we're going to survive better, you know? And we think all of that play, uh, which we call whatever, um, has, has been that. So yeah, in time, time actually may not help the conversation because, uh, or actually it does, but I'm just saying that you got to, I agree with you and you got to think of it in a way that we didn't, we didn't have to do fitness, you know, because it wasn't even a word and it's just what we did. And I do think, uh, based upon historical readings, you know, I, I do think people knew that, these partaking in physical challenges, whether through labor or them observing, you know, farmers, right? Observing them over 20, 30 years, they're like, those are pretty resilient people, you know, like hardy and healthy and whatever. And I think there's been lots of examples of that, whatever you want to call it, where they were like the fittest, right? Um, And, but, but now, that's not needed and you know, we don't need to plow the lands and we don't, you know, we sit down and we just punch keys and that's general statement, but then we get in the car and move around, take crap. You know, it's, it's a lot of sitting and it's not a lot of requirements of physical movement. So, so I think, yeah, the, the looking at it in a time sequence does make us at least, you know, pop up some questions as to, you know, what duties do we have based upon, you know, based upon all that, all that, uh, experience that we have. Okay. So maybe it's, so I might, you know, in the, in the scale of normativity, it might occupy this interesting position between 
morality and etiquette where it's like morality in the sense that it applies to all human beings, just like conscious morality applies to all rational beings. But unlike morality, it, it, um, it tends to, the state of moral duties is pretty, or the state of the fitness and health duties are pretty heavily influenced by time and place. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, do you get my, do you understand my words on it? I just think I'm, I just need validation of that. When I say like, we are, we are orchestrating this, you know what I'm saying? Like we're, we're putting it together and planning it out. You know what I'm saying? As opposed to it just being, it just being what we do, just being done. And do you see the, the big differences in there and how I'm having a hard time, like dropping some duties on top of it. If deep down, we know we have to do it. Like we're orchestrating it. Where at one time it'd be more easy to categorically, you know, put it in, put it into a command because it was just done. This is, <laughs> you know, I just re reading Daniel Lieberman's research on looking at tribes, right. They brought over this treadmill and they were just talking to people like, well, you know, training for running and they were like training for running why would you run <laughs> why why would you run for exercise do you know what i mean like they actually answered in their own language that like why would you run for exercise that is just mind-blowing but it probably gives you a little bit of an idea right of like we just moved because we had to you know we just you know you had to do it and now it's manufactured so that's where that's where I'm having a hard time on trying to coming up with the intentions. If we all know that we don't have to. Right. Yeah. And that's, I mean, and maybe we'll, maybe we'll get to this deeper down the line too, but, but that we is, do. What's that? <laughs> but we do, we all know we don't have to, but we do, we still, we still are doing it. Right. So that's what I'm saying. What's the base support of the intentions. And it really is, it really is folly. And I don't know if that'll pan out, you know, if it's, there's no real need, deep reason to do it. Sorry to keep, I know you had a thought there, sorry to. Oh no, you're okay. Um, no, that's, that's something I've wanted to ask, ask you in terms of your conception of what would be the ideal because on the one hand, when we talk about like autonomy and intention, um, you know, someone has like a conception of like, oh, I, I should be doing this, you know, I, I do it because I can and it's for me. Um, you, you know, you're sort of the, with the autonomous concept, you're kind of the self-starter, you're the one intending to do it. So that's, that's one conception of what seems like would be the ideal situation. But then the other is this non-reflective, non-rational could be entirely preconceptual, just like people did it. So those, those two seem to be, and correct me if I'm wrong, they seem to be at odds with one mm -hmm. another. Does that make sense? Yeah, they are. Yeah. Uh, so just making sense of like, which would be the, which would be the thing we should try to strive for and what would be the ideal? Because the, the pre-reflective, pre-conceptual, there's nothing, they just did it because they had to. There, I mean, there's nothing wrong about that, but then again, there's nothing autonomous, autonomous about that either, right? Well, I guess we'd have to time and place that one too, right? to decide upon what is autonomy if it's if it's if it's an unknown and they don't know what they're doing that is an argument for autonomy 
Okay, that that I'd be interested to hear. Uh, yeah, say a bit more about that. Yeah, like there, this is I'm trying to give you a timeline of the farmer hundreds and hundreds of years ago, right? Like right. they're continuing to daily physically move, but just because they know they need to provide food for their home. You know, so, so it's, there's, they have, no, they have no, well, I guess they got responsibility to the, the home and to the family, you know, but uh, they're on, they're on their own doing it. There's nothing, there's no, they could, they could stop, but they don't, you know, and it's, and it's just them, it's them doing it. So, you know, in, in my mind, I guess it's hard to to not say that's like the highest order version of autonomy because they're just this like unconscious competence. Mm, okay. It's like the highest order, but yeah, but I think I can see why it's like it's shifty because uh, the concept of fitness autonomy for that farmer 500 years ago is almost weird to like timestamp. Um, but it's also usually, I mean, usually when you talk about, usually when one talks about autonomy or intention, someone would be able to articulate, here's why I'm doing this. Yeah. And that's the, this is why it's tough to time timestamp that person because they, I guess back the autonomy version back then is they, they don't even know why. But if we were to like <laughs> go back in time and, and, you know, like, hmm, <laughs> you know, it's like, that's all good. That's all like, that's all the good stuff, right? Eating good food, moving every day, family, you know, et cetera. Uh, but I think even when we update this to the modern world, I think you've said something like this before. And again, correct me if I'm wrong or if I'm mischaracterizing, but you know, okay. something in the future, like, you know, people just wake up in the morning and okay, we're going for a walk. Well, why yeah. are you doing that? Well, cause, um, yeah. And no, nothing wrong with either conception, but that to me yeah. on the face of it seems to be at odds with autonomy and in, in intention because in order to be autonomous and have intent, one would need to be conscious and be able to conceptually. So I guess that's where I'm trying to get a bit of clarity on that yeah. one. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think there needs to be a good, uh, a good story, which would probably be, be, you know, better told. I'll try my best to put it down on paper sometime maybe, but like a, a fable of 500 years ago as to what autonomy was and how a person reflected on the concept of autonomy. And then for today, um, I say in the modern world, autonomy is that, but you you left out that to get there, what I generally say is I start with the premise that we don't need to exercise and we just need to get over that fact. So, so you, you, it's basically this. Yeah. I get up, I exercise. Why? That's just what you, it's which is what you do. That's just what you do. Now, you go deeper and deeper into the intentions of it. I still think that person is autonomous. Why? Because they even know they have to because they understand it's, it's like beyond folly. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not, not going to hide behind the fact that uh, in my own like thoughts on it, like that I can't, I can't, I can't make them understand that, the, that their practice in this is going to somehow lead to this virtuous, really powerful life. I really do believe it will. But I basically want them to get to that point where they just, they're just like, 
yeah, I know we just need to do, I don't, I don't need to do this, but I do. Um, and let's just get on with it. So that's where I still end up with someone being autonomous. Like they're at a, they're at an understanding. They understand the concept of like, you know what? I don't, I really, I mean, I don't need to do all that, but I will choose to do so because, you know, I've learned and I've seen and I played that I'm capable of doing these things. Look at this. Look, I can bend and ooh, I can squat and I can sustain for a long period of time. Do you know what I'm saying? But they don't, they don't have to somehow in their life come up with the, like the deepest understanding of the why behind that to not be still autonomous. I still think they're autonomous. Even if their cognitive ability on my context of autonomy is not there. Am I making sense? I think so. Yeah, I think I gotta I gotta chew that one over a bit more because I, I think I see what you're saying. But yeah, we might just like we've talked about before with words, there can be you know different senses. There's one sense of autonomy. I think I think there might be two different senses of autonomy that we're using. One, you know, when you said autonomy for you has to relate relates to this notion of unconscious competence. It's kind of that highest level when when you go through that kind of consciousness competency model um that's true autonomy and the autonomy i'm referring to which is related but different is this notion of being able to give the law to oneself conceptually articulate why one is doing what one is doing being conscious of the reasons and the intentions behind it and unless one is able to like like khan says you know just just going through the motions and having no idea of why you're doing it would not be autonomous on, on that sense, on that yeah. sense. So just yeah. getting clear about like what autonomy we mean, like a machine is, you know, if we mean just like, you know, a machine could be autonomous if we just mean like something going through the motions without having any reason that, but that would not be a, a good outcome for autonomy. So yeah, just getting clear on like what autonomy. Yep. Means. Yeah, for sure. And the word you use in there, which, and maybe it's not autonomy, maybe it's a very close, like, uh, name that's next to it. Um, but uh, I do think in there, which requires more thought, is uh, the word of intention and the understanding of the why, right? Like I, I and that, that's my point of modernity, like, but, but that's why I say I really don't think <laughs> that the majority, it doesn't mean that people won't truly in your definition, right? Not get to autonomy, but I'm, I'm just being a realist in terms of, well, what's my definition in the modern world for most people who embark on this? And I'm saying that maybe there's room for them even understanding the deepest intentions. But this is the point is that I'm, I'm okay with my defining of that for modern world if they're not super, if they're not at the deepest level aware of it, but they're, but they're like, they're getting there, but this is the point. They may never get there. And I, I'm okay with that in how I'm defining it, because I still do think that in the end, it'll be a good result. Why? Because they're just like, Oh, I'm not sure, but you know, I, let's just get on with it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to stop and contemplate. That's going to keep me from moving. Right. And just because of the modern world, I just really don't think that there's the time, there's the system, there's the institutions, there's all that in place for people to get on board with that higher ordered, uh, let's call it progressive scale of autonomy over time. So um, they, uh, 
I'm not sure if that helps you and looking at it that way, but that helps me understand it in our differences of the language of autonomy. And I think the good word you used there, which uh, is going to strengthen my language over it over time is uh, the intention and, uh, and uh, what, what their, what their understanding is of the process, you know, um, and the why. And uh, yeah, and when, when they say it's just like breakfast, you know, I guess it's, it's like, do, do we, you know, it's, it's of interesting to the breakfast conversation. I'm not trying to sidewind away from it now, but it's like, you know, you know, if, if it's eggs from your animal and, you know, goat milk and, and homemade bread, get on with it. <laughs> Good. Why? I don't know. Just what to do. It's breakfast. <laughs> Seems to be serving me well. You know what I'm saying? So that's like, well, you're not really autonomous then. True. True. They're not. But, but maybe they're on their way, you know? Yeah, no, and I, I, I see what you're saying about like there being gradations. And I mean, it, it doesn't need to be a, a binary thing where it's either zero, one or of autonomy. There can be different levels and, and scales and things like that. But I think, yeah, that's definitely something I, I want to chew over a bit more and discuss with you more in the future, like getting a sense of like, what is the ultimate goal of, you know, what we would see being the ideal for long-term fitness practice? Is it just people are, it, it's so embedded within culture that people just get up and they have breakfast and they walk and they do whatever, and they have no idea why. And it's just because we've transformed the culture or is it, uh, cause that that's one conception. The other would be someone could articulate why those, um, why they're doing it and why they are not staying seated and why they are not eating junk. You know what I mean? Like having yeah. conceptual. Yeah. Yeah, and, and my my uh, projection is that there's maybe two percent of all humans who participate in the fitness thing for a while will get to that understanding. Yeah, yeah, I've been clear about that before. I mean, my percentages go lower and lower every time I discuss it, uh, but I I just don't think it's gonna. Yeah, it's just don't. I just don't. I just think we just have to get on with things. You know, this is like just. Just keep doing it. You know, go go do better things. Just be consistent and go do go do other things. Well, how much time should I spend on this? Why behind my exercise? Um, you know, it's it's a practice if you want to get into it. But I I just don't think uh, I just don't have a lot of hope for people and their their ability to get to that awareness level. That's all. That outside of our little ecosystem, right? Um, yeah. I just don't don't see it. So um, yeah, but that's good. It's good. To, I, I I too will. We'll chew on that a little bit more for my language of it. Cause in my head before my voice, it does just make sense to me. And I can continue to, to clarify that. Uh, I just, one thing I'll add to it before is that I, and then I, that's why I think the, what I call like just stretching out these grandiose goals, right. Of what, what's the collective concept of autonomy. Remember that it actually jumped over that. It wasn't just, it wasn't just people really understand it and they're taking care of themselves is their ability to actually teach others. Cause in, in that, you know, that add on, you know, you can see now it's, now it's jumped over self, which is on that pathway to what I'm calling a, a, like a, like a higher order version of autonomy. Without making sense. It's, it's, it's not just you, it's, it's now beyond you and you've learned so much it's almost in duplication of reproduction, you know, of offspring. 
you, you're doing it so well, not doing it so well, you're doing life so well that you can pass this on. Like you, you can teach others about it, you know, and you don't have the coat shirt on. So that's what I, that's what I continue on with that. Like, cause you just mentioned it, right? What I'm interested in your thoughts on the big, big grandiose long-term goal of the definition of that for autonomy. And it's actually further out than what we were just discussing there, which is the individual. It's, it's them getting to the point where they're, and I just, I just think of it, you know, in real life is like many, many years down the road, they're in their garage working out with their family and someone walks by, right? It's like, well, what are you guys up to? There it is, right? That's the, that's the, the little magic of the highest order form of autonomy. I'm doing this, I'm on my own. We just got, we do these physical things every day. Um, makes me feel good. You know, I can climb with my daughter and I can do these things and I have great thoughts and I've noticed I've been a great person over a period of time with this, you know, practice, right? And, uh, and the neighbor's like, give me some of that. Like, how I, what? sign me up, you know? And, and there it is. So I, I'm just meant to make a mention of that too, that there's, there's this long-term, you know, utopic goal of that, you know, uh, that I don't, I never forget. I don't forget just in case people are like, Oh, geez, you know, you just want to stop short of just like saying, just get on with it. No, I'm, I'm not stopping short at that. I'm just being realistic in terms of people's cognitive abilities to get there and understand it. Yeah. And that, I mean, that helps clarify it a bit because you literally could not give reasons to someone else unless you were conscious and aware of like, why are, you know what I mean? Like if, if someone came along, I was like, you know, look in your garage and they're like, why are you doing that? Well, just cause I, I don't know, my parents told me to do it. Like that's not gonna, that's not gonna pass muster. So yeah. So I mean, that, that, that helps clarify like someone eventually the ideal goal would be someone would have, you know, it, it doesn't need to be like deepest scientific reasons or like deepest, you know, moral philosophy reasons, but just like reasons they are consciously aware of why they are engaging in that activity and they could explain it to someone else yeah this is another interesting place you can go is that imagine all the coaches that i deal with who can't who can't either get enough time uh create enough time or take the time uh to to understand this idea that they should be on their own do you know what I mean, just look at that. That's just an example of like where, you know, I can go to multiple areas that give me strength for my convictions that I have on how long will take people to truly get to that concept of the deepest understanding of autonomy. Like there's even folks within the practice of fitness who are going to be teaching others who, who can't get on board with that, even themselves. They're like, I can't do this myself. And that it's not, it's no right or wrong to it, but it's like, well then when, <laughs> and why do you think it takes all that to get to that? You know, it is just another, another area that we could look at that would strengthen my, my argument for what I would say the whole lot of people in projection over time are not going to get to that deepest understanding of autonomy. Could be. Maybe, I'll but you know what, uh, <laughs> but you know what can get them quickly to that? <laughs> The CrossFit Open. <laughs> Beautifully placed. We're like Penn and Teller there. Just filling yeah. each other's words. Family, exhaustion, community. 
Oh man. Oh man. Oh man. All right. Well, any any final thoughts there? No, gosh. Uh, I feel I don't feel uh, pleasured or pleased or content. Um, and I I like that. I but I said this going into I got I got so much to work on from for myself on this particular topic. Um, and so, you know, I appreciate you, you taking the time to walk us through that and, uh, and, uh, give me a year and, uh, come back with, uh, with some strength. Yeah. I mean, sometimes, I mean, yeah, honestly, you know, as we've talked about in our sound, sound by culture, like sometimes this stuff just takes time to like really mull over and think through. And like, I, there's, there's questions I still have and, um, you know, the fact that you don't feel pleased or pleasured. I mean, we did moral things today. That that's, that's, that's a sign of morality is that yeah. uh, pleasure goes out the window and whoop, uh-huh. yeah. a moral thing. And uh, you know, the fact that what connected us both was the concept of fitness morality. You know, we now been kind of mulling around the whole thing for a year too. So that's also something that's of interest to the, to this day and time. And, um, I'm excited to see what it looks like over time. Yeah. yeah. I just thought of the, uh, the choker stuff at the beginning and the owner are not pleasured or pleased and Brandon's gonna <laughs> field day. Just going to put those all together. And... <laughs> oh man. That'll become the new, uh, icon for the podcast. <laughs> no, no. You know, those emails you send me. I got this idea. What do you think about this for the, for the yeah. no, don't even send that one as a thought process. <laughs> I'm not willing to, I'm not willing to go with that one or answer to my wife on uh, this picture. What, uh, what was the thought based upon that? Oh boy. Oh man. That's yeah. It's definitely a step too far. We'll hold yeah. off on that one. <laughs> All right. Cool. All right, man. Um, all so this is obviously the first of uh of a couplet what's coming up uh i think so i mean there were some other not a couple discussing there but i i think this the next one that's related to this that i wanted to maybe talk about was responsibilities and and capabilities so morality and responsibility tend to go together and i guess that discussion around like we are capable of all sorts of things as humans what are the things among those that we have a responsibility for and mm. to cultivate and things like that. So that, yeah. that's kind yeah. of where I was looking. Yeah, I love that one. Um, yeah, we'll go into, uh, yeah, some things that I love pulling into that conversation. Uh, yeah, things like, um, you know, reciprocity and community um, and compassion. Um, some of these, you know, tingly words that uh, go way back in time that we observe for a long period of time, you know, what, what kind of works and how that possibly may have led to, you know, what is right and what is good. Um, yeah. And then I, I, I just uh, slap the whole physical thing on top of that. Um, yeah, that'll be good. Look forward to it. Okay, man. All right. Take care. All right. I'll talk to you later.